So usually what I try to do as a pastor in the month of November is that um, during the year, I break the year into quarters, right? So I preach on uh, early quarter in the year. I start by preaching on the theme of the year that we have. Then I break out into um, uh, some doctrinal stuff. Then around Easter, I would go into stuff concerning Easter. Then I break back into some other doctrinal stuff, go back to the theme of the year. But usually in the month of November, what I try to do is I try to do doctrine based on things that I have seen going on in the world, right? So that we'll be able to have some answers uh, as it pertains to our faith on the things that are happening around us. One of the hot topics in the world right now is the concept of freedom. Freedom. What does it mean to be truly free? Everyone says that they have the freedom to do something. They have the, the right to be able to do this, to do that. What does freedom mean for us as believers? Because we understand that in some regard, Christ has set us free. How do we walk in this freedom and not make sure that we are not abusing our freedom as well? So today, I am going to start a series. It will take us through the month of November on the idea of freedom and Christian liberties. We are going to look at the bounds and the limits of freedom and what we can and cannot do in the name of freedom. I'm speaking on what I've titled, Walking in Liberty. And this will be the part one, Walking in Liberty. And the subtitle for this morning's message is Free from the Law. Free from the Law. Amen. Ever since the inception of Christianity, there has been an ongoing debate. And the ongoing debate is, what is the relationship of the New Testament believer to the law of Moses? What is the relationship of the New Testament believer to the law of Moses? What we must understand is that Christianity did not come in a vacuum. Christianity came within a specific context. God appears to Abraham tells Abraham that I'm going to bless you through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Abraham's family grows and becomes a nation. God enters a covenant with that nation and we know that nation to be Israel. And that relate, the, the, the covenant stipulations and the religious system that Israel had is what we call Judaism. Right. So most of the early Christians at the time were Jews. When Jesus Christ came, the 12 apostles that followed him, his disciples at the time, all of them were Jews. It, it wasn't until Acts chapter 9 where Peter is praying and getting ready to go and eat and God appears to, to Peter in Acts chapter 10 in a vision. And in that vision, he sees um, all kinds of animals that have been laid in array on a cloth. And God tells him in the vision, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter is challenging God. He says, since my childhood, you know I have not eaten anything unclean. The reason being is that for the Jews, God, part of the restrictions that God has given them is that he had given them dietary restrictions. So if they were going to eat any four-footed animal, they must eat an animal that parts the hoof. That means there must be a gap in the hoof of the animal. And not only must there be a hoof, in the, the a gap in the hoof, it must chew the cud. So it says, the animal that passes the hoof and chews the cud. That is why they don't eat pork. They don't eat bacon. I love my bacon. Why do we eat bacon? We will look at it today. <laughs> Are we together? So Peter is going back and forth with God, and God says, 
that do not call whatever I have called clean, unclean. And in so doing, God opens the gateway for the Gentiles to come in and experience. So Peter opens the gateway, then along comes the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles. Peter goes to preach to the house of Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile, a Roman soldier. And, and after hearing the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And everybody is astonished because the Jews, for, for the first few years of Christianity, thought that Christianity was their birthright. It was something that belonged to them. So now that the Gentiles have come in, people who were not born Jews, how do they relate to us? Part of their argument was that they must now follow the law of Moses. They must now be circumcised. They must do the things that we do, observe the Passover, observe the feast, uh, uh, come to Jerusalem every, every year to observe the Passover and all these feasts. And Paul says, no, we must not do that. Until today, we have that argument going back and forth. You would see some people come and say, the Old Testament says that women should not wear trousers and that we shouldn't wear that which belongs to men. Then uh, if you do makeup, you are going to hell. If you, they, we become very legalistic. Why are we not supposed to be legalistic? We'll look at that this morning. Then on the other hand, there are, there are the people who say that because Christ has freed us from the, from the law, we are at liberty to live anyhow, do anything we want. We are bound to no law. That is also a heresy. It is, it is a heresy called antinomianism, anti, from the word antinomos. Anti is the Latin prefix against. Nomos is the Latin word for law. So these people are against the law. So if someone says you are an antinomian, they are saying that you are against the law. Right? So we have the legalists on the left side and we have the antinomians on the right side. Those who say that we should not live against, we should not live by any law, do what you want. And you hear it in subtle forms in this generation where people will say that as Christians we should allow um, uh, LGBTQ identifying people in our assemblies because those things are Old Testament. And we are in the New Testament, the law of Christ, the law of love. We should let love be love and allow people to love who they love. There's a point in time when, when you love, it is a sin. Are we together? Because there's a command in 1 John where, Jesus, uh, where the Bible tells us, love not the world. So there is a place where God commands you not to love, even though God is love. Are we together? So these are the, the devices that we must find out. How can we walk the middle line? How do we know what to do? What are we free from? What are we free to do? And what are we not free to do? Because freedom is not you are at liberty to do whatever you want. Freedom is you are at liberty and nothing holds you back to do what you were made to do. That's the difference. If I go and buy uh, an iron... Right? Those of you who attended boarding schools in Ghana, there was a use that people used to uh, make use of ions that ions are not useful. <laughs> are we together? Some people use iron to make chocolate. So they'll take their uh, Milo, wrap it in paper, and iron it. And they get a chocolate bar. You are free to do that with an iron, but that is not the purpose of the iron. Some people will take uh, milk tins and pour water in it 
and put their ramen noodles in it and heat it from the bottom. And they will prepare their ramen. You are free to use the iron to do that, but that is not the purpose of the iron. Are we together? So freedom is not liberty to do anything you think you want to do. Freedom is you are truly free if and only if you are able to do what you were made to do. Are we together? This issue of whether we must live by the law or not was so serious that the first council that was ever held in, in Christianity in Acts chapter 15 was on this matter. That they called a council, uh, the first ecumenical council in uh, Jerusalem. And the issue that they were discussing was how do the Gentiles, how do people who are not born Jews relate to the law? Because if we go back to the law, that means we are annulling what Christ has done. Are we together? So we are going to look into that. Let's take some scripture. I've been talking a lot. I've not read any scripture today. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Galatians 5 verse 1. We are reading from verse 1 to 4. He says, stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You will attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. So Paul is writing to the church in Galatia because he has heard some people have left Jerusalem and have come to um, the city of Galatia where the church is. And they are saying that before your salvation will be complete, you must be circumcised. Before your salvation will be complete, you must observe the law of Moses. You must observe all the things that are written in the law. And Paul says that we must stand firm in the liberty that Christ has set us free. For if we go back to the law, you have become estranged from Christ and you are falling from grace. Let's, let me read it in the NIV version. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Somebody say, I'm free. He says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to keep the whole law. That means if you say you want to be circumcised, then you have to obey the whole law. We'll look at why it is difficult in a bit. He says, you who are trying to be justified by the law, you have been alienated from Christ and you have fallen away from grace. One of the reasons why this topic is very dear to my heart, I remember when I was uh, on university campus as a, I think in my final year, my, my kid sister was on campus and um, there was one guy who used to go to the faculties to go and preach in the mornings. And this guy went and preached a very legalistic gospel that he had a vision and went, and you know these people that come around with these messages, they have visions of hell, all those who uh, listen to this music, you do lipstick, if you're a woman and you do makeup, you go to hell, you wear trousers, you go, to, all of this, and they scare people. And sometimes as believers, if you are not 
well trained in the word, you don't know how to respond. And you see, um, the way the human mind works is that when things are difficult in the religious context, that is when we believe it is true. So when there's a certain form of asceticism where you have to deny certain things and not do things like, yeah, these people are the spiritual people. You wear, as a guy, you wear trousers that six people can fit into. Then says, yes, these are the, the spiritual ones. I remember there was a time I was working on campus. On campus, people used to, I used to preach by the roadside. I remember one time I was taking a stroll with my wife, my beloved then. And somebody was shouting, evangelist, evangelist. And I was telling my wife that imagine we were doing something untoward in this moment <laughs> right and this guy saw me that i was wearing shorts i mean it was a hot day it was a very hot day and i was wearing shorts i was wearing a t-shirt and i was like me i like to look good it's not it's not because of you that i will not look good it's not because i'm a ministry that i'm a pastor that i'll dress anyhow you will not get i will not wear an oversized shirt for anybody if i wear oversized shirt that means it is fashionable oversized are we together? And this guy's like, ah, man of God, and you're wearing trousers, and you're wearing shorts. You have to wear trousers. Where is it in the Bible that if I wear shorts, my salvation is at stake? Are we together? There, there are certain things that we put on ourselves that hinder our liberties in Christ. And we must be able to get rid of them. Are we together? So, what does the Bible mean when it says that we are not bound to the law? First, we must understand what the law is, right? When you read your Bible and you see the expression law, there could be several things at play. It could mean they are referring to the entire Old Testament. The entire Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, right? So, when somebody, when somebody says the law, they could have that in mind. Jesus Christ uses that expression a lot, right? But most often, when they use the term law, they are referring to the, the commandments that God gave them in establishing the covenant. Most of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments. But the law is more than Ten Commandments. In fact, if you numerate the laws that God gave to the children of Israel, in total, there were 613 of them. There were laws governing even when a lizard falls in your pot. What you must do with that pot you must break it up then go even if you are sick with a skin disease which the bible usually terms leprosy and you are healed you must go and show yourself to the priest and do the ceremonial cleansing before you can enter into the congregation of god's people again and that is why you remember when jesus healed uh, some lepers he told them to go and show themselves to the priest it wasn't that jesus was just saying go and show yourself to the priest that have healed you he is telling them that after your healing you must follow the dictates that were given are we together so the law refers to the old testament commandments that god gave them right these 613 commandments um, they can be broadly categorized into three groups the first group of the law is what we call the moral law the moral law the moral law refers to the commandments that deal with issues of righteousness and justice issues of righteousness and justice the, the moral law is usually summed up in the ten commandments so when you look at the ten commandments uh, you shall not bear false witness you shall not commit adultery you shall not covet your neighbor's property right and even the laws the other laws that were given as it pertains to uh, sexual immorality as a man you shall not lie with a man as 
a man lies with a woman. And as a woman, you shall not lie with a woman as a woman lies with a man, for it is an abomination to God. All of these things encompass what we call the moral law. Are we together? The moral law, because they deal with issues of right and wrong. The moral law reveals to us God's character, God's nature, and the things that please God. The second, the second part of the law is what we call the ceremonial laws. The ceremonial laws had to do with what we call ceremonial cleansing. And the purpose of the ceremonial laws was to turn the people's minds to God. It included commands about food. So God would give them a command like, do not boil a goat in its mother's milk. Have you seen that command in your Bible before? Do not boil a goat in its mother's milk. It's in the book of Exodus. And, and the, one of the interpretations that have been given to that command is one of the reasons why Jewish people to today, if they are eating kosher, that means they are going according to the ceremonial law, is that they don't eat cheeseburgers. Right? So you, you notice that Jewish people don't eat cheeseburgers. One of the reasons why they don't eat cheeseburgers is because that is their interpretation in the modern times of do not boil a goat in its mother's milk. Milk, cheese, the meat, the goat itself. So we don't combine those things. They don't eat um, a, a lot of seafood, these shrimps and the rest because they were given specific commandments to abstain from that. They don't eat pork. Are we together? All of these things were part of the ceremonial law. The goal of the ceremonial law is to bring us to the place of understanding what is clean and unclean, what is holy and what is not holy. Are we together? Because part of the covenant that God made with the children of Israel is that I will be your God and you will be my people and I will dwell in the midst of you. So if God is coming to dwell in the midst of the people, if they are not clean and they are not holy, the holiness of God can kill them. It's like when you're approaching the sun. The sun is good, right? The sun is good. But the closer you get to the sun, if you are, you are not of a certain constitution in your being, the sun would kill you. Are you together? The sun itself is not a bad thing. But the sun, because of its, its, its intensity, will destroy you. And that is how, when you are getting closer to God, if you are not holy, it is not that God himself will do you anything. The intensity of God's holiness will undo you. That is when Isaiah, uh, Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, when he got into the presence of God, the first thing he says, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am, an I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of other people of unclean lips. The moment he got too close to God, he realized all the uncleanliness in himself. Are we together? Then the final law, the final subset of the law is what we call the civic laws. The civic laws were the laws that applied to Israel as a nation. What we must understand is that um, Israel was a theocracy, right? They were, in the way their government and their nation was set up, God was at the top. The king was not the one in charge. God was at the top. Then later came the, the kings, and that is why even though you are a king, you are subject to a prophet. And the prophet every now and then can come and warn the king and tell them that this is what God is going to do to you because as a nation, they were not a democracy, they were a theocracy. Right? We live in more democratic times now. We vote for our leaders. Right? So, sometimes, even because God is sovereign, God can act every now and then. But we vote for our leaders. That's why when I vote, you must vote wisely. Are we together? So because their nation was governed by God, God gave them specific laws to differentiate them from the different nations. For instance, in Israel, there was a law that if you plant your field and it is a time to harvest, in the season of harvest, you don't harvest the entire field. 
you harvest and you leave the corners of your field untouched so that the poor can come into your field and glean from the harvest. If you harvest your food and you put it on a cart and you are moving with a donkey and it hits a bump and one grain or a, 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 a cup of corn falls down, you don't pick it up. You leave it down so that the poor can come and uh, glean from it. There was a law in the nation that if you even own a slave, you can only keep that slave as a servant for only seven years. And after seven years, you must let them go. And you don't let them go empty-handed. You give them money to go and start new life. Are we together? So that those were the civic laws. So imagine if we say we are going to go back to the old testament to live by the law paul says that if you want to be justified by the law you must obey all 613 but we can see just by the breakdown that some of the laws generally will not apply to us number one because we are not a theocracy we don't live under those times so the the civic laws and the ceremonial laws do not apply to us even though they teach us are we together the civic laws teach us how God would want us to ideally operate under his economy and under his government. The ceremonial laws teach us how that God would want us to keep ourselves from things that will lead to death. But they do not apply to us. The only aspect of the old law that applies to us in a sense is the moral law. Because adultery is still adultery. Fornication is still fornication. Sexual immorality is still sexual immorality. Idolatry is still idolatry. Are we together? And next week, I will take my time to look at that. But why, was, why did God bother to give the law? Number one, the law formed the basis of the covenant that God made with the nation. So, when God brought them out of slavery in Egypt... And they came to Mount Sinai. God entered a covenant with them. I will be your God and you will be my people. Mine is to bless you and to keep you. Your part is to obey the terms of the covenant. So the law became the framework for the covenant stipulations. Are we together? Exodus chapter 19, 4 to 6. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. How I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. So God is making the terms of the covenant. You obey me, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. God is telling Moses, Moses, these are the words you are to speak to them. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 1, we read similar words. He says, if you obey fully the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. So God is entering a covenant with the nation. The covenant stipulations are what we call the law. Those 613 commands. The second reason why the law was given is that the law was given as a basis to establish and to give righteousness. The law was given to establish righteousness. When man fell in the Garden of Eden and we decided that we wanted to play God, we wanted to do things our own way, man lost what we call righteousness. We lost our right standing with God. We became estranged from God. We did not have a relationship with God. We were even thrown out of God's presence, sacked from the Garden of Eden. 
If we are going to enter into a certain form of relationship with God, then there must be a basis to identify whether you are in right standing with God or you are not in right standing with God. In right standing with God is what we call righteousness. Are we together? So the law is given to establish righteousness. And the reason why it is necessary to establish righteousness is that when we, we became unrighteous, we lost our right standing with God and we were cast out from the presence of God. Because God is the source and the ground of all being, when you are estranged from God, death enters the scene. Right? That is why it says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death because once sin enters the equation, you are separate from God. And once you are separate from God, death enters. Because you are separated from the ground and the source of being itself, of life itself. And when God gives you the, when God gave the nation of Israel the law, he was giving them a gift to give them life. The gift establishes righteousness and that righteousness establishes life. Because if you are righteous, you have life. So when Moses says that I present, I give you this day, I place before you life and death. He is not holding two things in his hand called life and death. When he says, I present to you this day life and death, he's talking about the law. Because if you obey the law, you have righteousness. And if you have righteousness, you have life. Are we together? So when God gave the law, he was giving them a basis to establish righteousness. And because it was a basis to establish righteousness, it was a basis to give them life. In Leviticus chapter 18 verse 5, the Bible says, You shall therefore keep my statutes. And my commandment, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So God is saying that if you obey these things, you shall live by them. These are the things that will give you life. The third reason why the law was given is that the law was given to expose our sinful nature. The law was given to expose our sinful nature. You know, when Adam sinned, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that he passed on a sinful nature to all of us. Just the same way that you, you look like your father or you look like your mother and your mother looks like... And sometimes when we look at your actions, sometimes we look at your behavior, then we can tell your behavior and say, oh, this behavior it is from your father or this behavior it is from your mother. The same way those character traits and physical traits are passed down. Sinful nature too was passed down. But if God comes and tells you that you are a sinner, you challenge God that I, me, I'm a good person. So one of the reasons why God gave the law is to shut everybody up. That we are all sinners. Are we together? It, the, the law is like a mirror. The more you look into it, it exposes you that you are a sinner. In Romans chapter 7, verse, from verse 7 to 8, when Paul was talking about his struggles with the sinful nature prior to, prior to Jesus Christ, look at what he says. He says, what shall we then say? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. So the law is not the problem. That's not what Paul is saying here. He says, the law is not the problem. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, here he's talking about the sinful nature. He says, but sin, seizing opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. So he's saying that, not that sin was not there, but apart from the law, sin was not active. Because most of you have encountered this thing before. Those of you who have uh, children, you know what I'm about to talk about. Sometimes the kids can be there watching their show, doing everything silently, 
and do not bother about anything. Maybe you want to go and do dash and grab something from another room and you say that, don't go to the fridge. That is when everything in them, every fiber of their being wants to go there. It's like now they can't even control it. And you see, that is an example of the sinful nature even at that level. Because the, the sinful nature just wants to rebel. I said this thing at our Connect class on Wednesday. That right now in this world, everybody says that let people love who they love. Let um, uh, um, the gays love the, who they want. Let the lesbians love who they want. And I said, if God should open the heavens today and he says, I write a new commandment this day. That now men should marry men and women should marry women. Those who are gays now will tell you they love women. Because at the heart of sin, it is rebellion. It is rebellion against the law. And whenever the law presents itself, that nature kicks up. So it is that nature in man, that sin that the law came to expose. Because you say that you are not, you are not an envious person, you are not a covetous person. But when the law says, thou shall not covet, Paul says that he did not know that he had it in him until the law said, thou shall not covet. That is when he started seeing his friend's bends. He started seeing his neighbor's donkeys and all of those things. And you begin to envy. Are we together? So the law was given to expose that we are sinful. Are we, are we tracking? So the law was given to establish the covenant. The law was given to establish righteousness. The law was given to expose the sinful nature. And finally, the law was given as a guide to lead us to Christ. The law was given as a guide or as a schoolmaster to keep people to the coming of Christ. When God gave it to the nation of Israel. You see, God had promised Abraham that through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that seed was not Isaac. That seed was Christ. Right, but God has to find a way of preserving a line through which Christ will come because if He leaves these people to their vices, they will live anyhow and they will contaminate the line. So, God gave the command, the commandment, so that in keeping the commandment, even those who are trying, there is a preservation that is happening until the coming of Christ. That is why when God came to Jerusalem, at the time that he came to Jerusalem, he was able to find a young virgin. Because the law had been keeping some people bound until the coming of the Messiah. Are we together? That's why I told you that don't play with sin. Because sometimes God will forgive you, but you will miss out on destiny. Because imagine if Mary was not a virgin. Will God forgive her? Yes. But will she give birth to the Messiah? No. He will find another person. There are some things that God wants to do with you that you must be in a certain frame. You must be in a certain line before God can use you. So that was one of the reasons why God gave the Lord to preserve the lineage, but also to point to Christ. Are we together? In Galatians chapter 3 verse 19. Galatians 3 from verse 19. He says, what purpose then does the Lord serve? It was added because of sin. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. He's talking about the mediator, there is Moses. Next verse. 
Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promise of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But scripture has confined all of us under sin, that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. 23. Therefore, the law, let's go to the 22. But scripture has confined all of us under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Next verse. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith that would be revealed afterward. Therefore, the law was our tutor. The law was like a, 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 a housemaster, a headmaster, an instructor, keeping you under wraps, keeping your sin under wraps. That means even if you sin, whilst you were under the law, you are conscious, so you quickly come back. So the law became your guardrails, keeping you in check until Christ is finally revealed. That was why the law was given. Are we together? Let's look at, if you read the verse, the, the verse 22, He says, but scripture has confined us all under sin. That's the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Why is it that even though the law was given to establish righteousness, the law was not able to establish righteousness in us? The problem was not the law, like what Paul said. The problem was that there is sin in us. So because of our, our sinful nature, the law is not able to achieve the purpose for which it was given. Because Psalm 19 verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law by itself is perfect. It was given by God. There is no, uh, there is no fault in the law. But the problem is that if you've given the, a perfect law to imperfect people, they cannot live by the law. So if the law is supposed to give them life, it, ended, it just ends up exposing them. Are we together? In Romans chapter 7 from verse 14 to 17. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal and sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not do, I agree that the law is good. But now it is no longer I who do it but the sin who dwells in me. This is Paul talking about his struggles before he came to know Christ. And all of us have been in this situation before. You know in your mind that what you are doing is good or what you want to do is good. But you end up doing the very thing opposed to the things that you want to do. The people who are caught in addiction and all of those things, they know that it is not good. But there is something holding them bound. There is something trapping them in their inward being. And Paul calls it sin. The sinful nature. Are we together? So he says that it's, if I know that this thing is good, then I agree that the law by itself is good. But then it is a nature inside of me working against the desire of the law. So we go to the verse 22 of the same chapter. Verse 22 to 25. He says, For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man. But I see another law at work in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, 
which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That means Paul says, I was struggling. Prior to Christ, I was struggling because God has given us the law to obey. I know that it is good to want to live by the law. I know it is good to desire to live by the law, but I cannot do it. And this is, this is the struggle of anybody pre-Christ. And this is why it is foolishness to want to go back to the law. Are we together? How does Christ merge with the law? Matthew 5.17 Matthew 5.17 Jesus Christ, when he came, was teaching. This was one of his first uh, sermons. He says, do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. What, what does Jesus mean by this, you see? Like I said, part of the law, especially the ceremonial laws, was given to point us to God, to point us to Jesus Christ. So when Christ says, I have come to fulfill the law, he has come to establish the things that we were supposed to do that we cannot do. For instance, one simple law that God gave the nation that they kept breaking was the law of the Sabbath. Right? That for six days they should work and on the seventh day they should rest. The Sabbath was, was commissioned on two grounds. The first ground was that God worked for six days and on the seventh day he rested and he called it holy. The second ground in Deuteronomy chapter 4 is that they were captives held under slavery and God freed them. So when they rest on the Sabbath, they are resting in the rest of God coming from slavery. But every now and then they would break the Sabbath. When God gave them manna, he says you shall gather for uh, uh, six days. On the sixth day before the Sabbath, you, you gather for two days. But people would come out on the Sabbath coming to gather again. Right? But God had asked them to rest. And even that simple instruction, imagine a, a simple instruction like on the Sabbath day, don't work. Rest. I mean, how difficult is that instruction? But I told you because of the sinful nature, the rebellion, something that we say we should rest, people woke up that day to want to work. But when Jesus Christ came, he says that I am the Lord of the Sabbath. What does he mean when he says he's the Lord of the Sabbath? I said the Sabbath was instituted as a day where human beings rest in God. When Christ says he's the Lord of the Sabbath, he means that he is the end of work for those who want to be in relationship with God. So no longer are we working to achieve righteousness and to achieve relationship with God because Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. When we enter him, we rest. Are we together? So that is why when Jesus Christ came, he would heal somebody on the Sabbath. He would do good on the Sabbath. And the, the Pharisees were, were challenging him. Why are you doing all of these things on the Sabbath day? And he asked them, you people, when your donkey falls into a pit, do you not pick it up on the Sabbath? You hypocrites. I, standing before you, I am the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Are we together? That is why even when somebody tells you that those who worship on Sunday, you know, I don't know if you ever read this book, The National Sunday Law. It's a book that a friend of mine read and came to me crying. And they said that those who worship on Sunday are going to hell. Right? Because we are not observing the Sabbath. But Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. 
the Sabbath, the purpose of the Sabbath has been fulfilled. When Christ says it's the fulfillment of the law, the Passover lamb, the lamb that was killed before they were even able to exit the land of Egypt and become truly free. Christ says he is the fulfillment of it. That is why even Jesus Christ was crucified on a fr Passover Friday. That is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 that Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. He is the fulfillment of the law. Are we together? So the, the righteous requirements, the thing that the law was supposed to do to establish righteousness in us, that we were unable to do because of our sinful nature, Christ has done it. Are we together? This is why we don't go back to the law. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The reason why Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ is because if you are under the law, your sinful nature prevents you from fulfilling the law. So what is the, the, the law? When God gave them the law in Deuteronomy and Exodus, there were blessings for obeying the law and there were curses for disobeying the law. The summation is this. It was just life and death. If you obey the law, you receive life. If you cannot obey the law, you are condemned to die. So Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So first of the law, Christ frees you from the sinful nature inside of you. That's what he calls the law of sin and death. It is the sinful nature. Because once that sinful nature has, still has power over you, you will disobey the law, you will die. It's a law of sin and death. But Christ has set you free from that. Verse 3. Look at what it says here. He says, for what the law could not do. There was something the law could not do. That didn't mean it couldn't give life. And it could not give life, not because the law was inadequate, but we had a sinful nature problem. So, so what the law could not do, in that it was weak, through the flesh, God did. Somebody say, God did. He says, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4. This is my emphasis. He says, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So when you come into Christ, the righteous requirement of the law is now handed to you. That is why Paul says in Colossians 2 that he has blotted out every handwriting of offense that was contrary or that was against us. You know, when you go to a courtroom and you are being presented, they read your charge sheet. Your charge sheet is the offenses that you have committed for which you are standing on trial. All of us, if you are going under the law, there is a law that you are broken. So when you stand, there is a charge sheet that, is, that has your name on it. But he says, when you come into Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross has blotted out the handwriting that was against you. That means if the devil should pull out your charge sheet today, it is empty. It has been blotted out. It has been erased. With the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled for us. Are we together? In Romans 10 verse 1 to 4, Paul is speaking about the Israelites. 
He's speaking about the children of Israel. And he's saying that the reason why they have not believed is that they are still desiring to please God by the law. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they will be saved. Verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Verse 3. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, are seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. This is what he's saying. He said that the nation of Israel, the reason why they did not believe in Christ is that they still want to become righteous before God by observing the law. But Christ has become the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. That, so, I like what he says in the verse. He says they have a zeal for God but without knowledge. So when you see, when I see people saying that women must not wear trousers, they must not do this, or men should, should not do this, sometimes the first question I ask you is that, see, even in the trousers, back in, back in those days, there was no trouser. Men and women used to wear robes. Number one. The, the robes, the only difference is that the women's robes were more tailored to their body and the man's robe was a little bit more straight. If you say the Bible says, number one, the Bible does not say men and women should not wear it. It says don't wear that which pertains, a woman should not wear that which pertains to a man and a, woman, a man should not wear that which pertains to a woman. It was because part of the rituals of the neighboring nations was that to enable to get a, a, a good harvest that year, they would perform some fertility rituals. And part of the fertility rituals is that the people would cross-dress. Are you together? They would cross-dress. So God is giving them, I told you, part of the ceremonial law was to make them holy because they were the people of God. So he says that they should not partake in those things. So number one, if we are going to even go specifically to the law, right, he says, do not wear that which pertains to a woman. If my wife is buying trousers, she goes to the women's section in the store. If I'm buying jeans, I don't go to the women's section. I go to the men's section. So, so even that, that instruction I'm giving is moot from the very beginning. It, it doesn't hold. But secondly, those people, sometimes they have a zeal for God, but it is without knowledge. That's what the Bible says. It says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You see, some people get excited. They want to preach. They want to go and share the gospel, but it is zeal without knowledge. You must be able, that's why Paul says, you must study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman, that must not be ashamed, rightfully dividing. There is a way we preach that we rightfully divide the word of truth. Just because something is written in the Bible does not mean we live according to it today. Sometimes it is written because the Bible says the things that were written aforehand were written for our learning. So there are things that are written for our learning. There are things that are written for our example. Are we together? There's a difference. You must be able to rightfully divide the word of truth. That is why when I come here on a Sunday morning, I don't preach any message at all. We take our time, rightfully divide the word of truth. I don't preach what I feel like preaching. I preach the word of God rightfully divided. Are we together? So it says they have a zeal for God, not according to knowledge. For Christ is the end of the law. That means he said that when it comes to standing right before God, where God sees you as he's in a relationship with you and you are not to be blamed, you are not uh, to be held guilty. He says Christ becomes the end of the law for righteousness because under the old covenant, the law was the basis for righteousness. But now that you are in Christ, the law has ended doing that. Now Christ is the basis for your righteousness. 
Are we together? That is why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he says, For you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It is Jesus Christ's righteousness that is given to you. So when I stand before God, I don't stand before God because the whole week I didn't do anything bad. You see, sometimes as believers, we don't know how to hold those truths in tension. I don't stand before God. God does not love me because I did not do anything bad this week. God loves me because I am in Christ Jesus. And the Father has loved the Son from eternity. So once I am in the Son, I get the advantage of that love. Once I am in the Son, I get the advantage of that relationship. Paul says, to go back to the law means you are stepping outside of Christ. And you are now trying to go and justify yourself before God by your works. You are guilty before you start. Are we together? So that's what he says. He says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. That is why in Galatians 5, Paul's blood was boiling when I was talking to the Galatians. And he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? When you started in the spirit, why are you trying to end it in the flesh? Because when you got saved, did you get saved by the works of the law or by faith in Christ Jesus? When God worked miracles amongst you, give me Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. When God worked miracles amongst you, did God work miracles because you believed or because you obeyed the law? That's what Paul was saying. Galatians 3. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Christ was clearly portrayed among us as crucified. Verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, you are now being made perfect by the flesh. Paul is saying that if you want to go and circumcise yourself, you are leaving spiritual matters to go into the flesh. If you want to be made right before God by obeying the law, you are leaving spiritual matters and you are going to the flesh. Are you so foolish that something that God began in the spirit, you now want to end it in the flesh? So when Paul says the people were foolish, this is not me, it's the Bible. We are just reading Bible today. So some of you, in trying to go back to the law, you are being foolish. He says, who has bewitched you? The word there is, who has hoodwinked you? Who has defrauded you? You see, sometimes people think that they are trying to... Pre- because I, I remember I had a debate some time back on this particular matter, whether we are to live by the law or not. I, told, I asked the person, why is it that on a Sunday morning, when you are going to church, you don't go with your goods? You don't go with your lamb. Because if we are to go by the law, that means we don't even, offering time, offering time on a Sunday, we should be seeing goats and sheep and animals bleating here. (laughs) Are we together? Because we do not live according to the law to be justified before God. Let me read my last scripture then. I'll bring my message to a close. I hope you, you are being blessed. Colossians chapter 2, from verse 15. Speaking about the victory that Christ has won. You see, I remember during the evangelism we were doing in the month of October, 
there was a time where I think we had almost finished our evangelism and I met a group of people there. They're from the group where we call the Hebrew Israelites. Right. And they believe that even though Christ has fulfilled the law, we must still live under the law. Right. So they observe the Sabbath. They do all these kinds of things. Right. And I, I had a long conversation with them. The truth of the matter is, you see, there are a lot of things that sound spiritual. They sound good. But it's not true. It sounds very religious that we are the people who are bound by the law. We don't eat this. We don't do that. It's good. It's good not to eat some things because you want to be healthy. But to the moment, you see, Paul's, you know Paul's problem. Paul's problem is that the moment you equate doing those things to saying that because I do these things, I am accepted by God, that is where his blood boils. That's where the problem comes. Right? Me, I don't mind if you want to do your services on a Sunday or you want to do it on a Saturday. I mean, I have a friend who lives in uh, Abu Dhabi. Because of the laws in that country, they do their church services on a Friday. Are we together? We cannot hold them that you must do church on a Sunday. Other than that, God is not happy with you. Are we together? Cannot say that the women that are wearing wig, because you are wearing wig, God is not happy with you. Right? The men, some even said that the men, if you cut your hair, the Bible says that you must not shape, you must not trim. That if you do that, God, see, I told you I like to look good. Why will you cut your hair and not shape the line? Why? <laughs> Are we together? But the moment you say that because we do these things, God is not happy with us, you have missed it. Because we are not accepted by God because of the things we do. You and I are accepted because of Jesus Christ. God has given us a new basis for righteousness. And that basis for righteousness is faith in the Lord Jesus. Are we together? So Colossians chapter 2 verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Let me explain briefly this line. So when he says he triumphed, over principalities and powers, right? You know, the sinful nature, there's somebody who is behind who controls the sinful nature in us. In Ephesians chapter 2, from verse 1, he says, you were once dead in trespasses and sins, right? And walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So, before you were you were born again this is your state you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air who now works in the children of disobedience but when christ died what he did was that he disarmed those powers so they are not in you controlling you if you are in christ jesus when he says he disarmed them paul is using a uh, language from roman battle triumphs you know, those days when they, they win the battle, the emperor will be riding on his chariot. Then he will have the enemies, the, the, the nobles and the princes of the enemies that they've conquered. They bound them in chains and they are walking behind his possession, his procession. So that when he's entering into the city and Caesar has triumphed, 
Caesar has triumphed. The evidence of Caesar's triumph is that the enemies are being paraded behind him. And he says that when Christ died, he made a public show of the principalities and powers. And the evidence that you have been made free is that sin no longer has power over you. Are we together? So he says, because they have been disarmed and the powers of darkness no longer control us, he says, so let no one judge you. Colossians 2. Back to Colossians. He says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come. So he says, all the things that were under the Old Testament, they were a shadow of the things to come. And the original has come, which is Christ Jesus. The original is here with us and for us. He says, they were a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. Hmm. Intruding into the things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body nourished and knit together and ligament grows with the increase that is from God. Paul is saying that when people come to you and they are portraying that we must live according to the law, we are, he says, it is false humility. There's, there's actually pride in the people. It is prideful to say that God has given you a way and you want to establish your own way. He says, it is false humility. He says, they, they come with, with the fact that, oh, we must fast, we must do this. See, fasting does not even make you right before God. See, there were days where me when I was growing up, I was a bit legalistic. Before I, I got understanding of some of this, I was very legalistic. I used to believe in we must fast. Everybody must be fasting. I used to fast, I became like a stick. We fast. But I remember one day I was going to preach somewhere and I was so hungry. I'd eaten, I, I wasn't even. And the moment I climbed the stage and I began to worship, people were just falling on the ground people were being delivered demons were being cast out of people and and i was asking god god today that i didn't fast it's like you have moved more than ever he says i want to show you that it is not you it is not you you see sometimes we we want to take credit for our salvation it is not you it is not the things that you do it is what christ has done are we together he says therefore if you died in Christ from the basic principles of this world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion false humility and the neglect of the body but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh also that these things that people are doing you think they make you spiritual you think they make you look special but they are of no value that is why he says we must stand firm in the freedom for which christ has set us free if you and i have been freed in Christ Jesus, we are not running back to the law. Because 
those 613, by the time you finish obeying the 10th one, you can't even remember the 613th one to obey. So God says, no, we are leveling the playing field. We must believe in Christ Jesus. So when we say we are free from the law, we are not free in the sense that we can live anyhow. Next week, I'll continue this other part. So we've looked at against legalism. Next week, we'll look at against antinomianism. That it doesn't also mean that because you are not under the law, you can do anything at all. But what it just means is that when we say we are free from the law, we are saying that the law has become an end for righteousness. That means Christ is now the basis for your righteousness. Now that you are free from the law, how are you supposed to live? And that is what we will do next week. Because we are trying to establish how do we truly live as free people. Are we together? Let's rise to our feet and pray. See, when the worship team was leading us and they sang, it's all about you. Sometimes we tend to forget that it's not about the things that we make it. It's not about what we think we have done good in and of ourselves. But our salvation from first to last is all about Jesus Christ. Our experience of God's grace from first to last is all about Jesus Christ. Are we together? And I want us to pray this morning that God would help us to stand firm in the freedom. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not any longer be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I want to pray that, Father, open my understanding to see this freedom and give me the strength to stand in it. The strength to stand in this freedom. That I may stand in the freedom for which Christ has set me free. Father, this morning we pray for your people. And Lord, we declare, O oh Lord, that we stand firm in this freedom. We remain in the freedom for which you have set us free. That, Father, that the righteous requirement of the Lord that was met in Christ Jesus on our behalf, we pray, O oh Lord, that it might work on our behalf in the name of the Lord Jesus. La bade kapali braba la bazondo kali braba shanda haya la zanda barra bazonda kali abranda felebediata. And I want us to pray an intercessory prayer. We are praying for any sect of believers around the world. Paul says that I bear them witness, for they have a zeal for God, but without knowledge. Anybody who is stuck in a place where by virtue of misinformation, not properly understanding, they are seeking to establish their righteousness from God by works. We are praying that may God liberate them by bringing revelation to their minds. 
by bringing revelation to their heart. You, you may have family members like that. You may have friends like that. People who are stuck in such a religious, a religious trap. But we are praying that they may come to the revelation that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for all who believe. That Christ has become the end of the law for righteousness for all who believe. In the name of Jesus. Mande Riza Diatas. Rababakashe Paloskavaya. Landate Remeni Maduazanta father we pray oh god that the scales shall fall off their eyes oh lord oh yes lord in the name of jesus you may please be seated <clears throat> 